Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter. Good morning, everyone, from a sunny Naples with thunderstorms due. This morning, I am delighted to be speaking to Scott Thornbury. I owe a lot to him, as do many AFL teachers around the world. He influenced and shaped the current methodology, current methodology and has made understanding of grammar. Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jay Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Um, I will I will get to it. I will be able to get it all in the 30 seconds required. Uh, um, he influenced and shaped current methodology and has made understanding grammar and teaching it more, more accessible. I will get there one day soon. This morning, as I said, I am delighted to have Scott Thornbury here. I can see him coming into the studio right now. While we're waiting for him, let's just think about what today is. I believe it is National Beverage Day, International No Diet Day. That sounds like a good one. And it's also National Nurses Day. I'm not sure which country that is, but um, that sounded like a motorbike going past someone's house. <laughs> um, um, a big shout out, obviously, to all the nurses around the world. Um, Scott, are you there? I am, Jane. Can you hear me loud and clear? I can hear you now. I am, you were muted <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> um, I'm sorry just, about that. <laughs> I was just testing all these, these controls here in the cockpit. Uh, <laughs> but as long as you can hear me now, that's great. I can hear I, you loud and clear. I am, and I'm delighted to, to have you on the show. Um, coming to us from Madrid, I believe. How is, how well, is the actually, weather? Barcelona, um, or not even Barcelona, Jane, I'm in a little town just north of Barcelona on the coast, uh, and the weather is, or, uh, uh, I was going to say autumnal, but no, it's spring-like, and that it's a little bit overcast, but it's warm. It's warm, yeah. It's, it's sort of warm. We have sort of very warm days and cold evenings. I'm not sure if it's the same there. It's probably very similar, actually. We're probably on the same... Altitude. Same latitude. latitude. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's it. That's one thing about about me. I have I've changed hemisphere, but I didn't change latitude. So Melbourne and Naples are pretty much on the same same line. I'm well, sure. thereby thereby hangs a tale, Jane. Because uh, some people ask me why I chose Spain to live in, because it's the exact antipodes of New Zealand, where I was born. So in many ways, it it shares a lot of its features, particularly in terms of climate. Yes. <laughs> where where were you from in New Zealand? Uh, I was from the North Island. I was born in a town called Rotorua, which is probably famous. I mean, it is famous to those who've been there because of its hot boiling mud pools and geysers. Uh, but I was brought up in a town called Hamilton mm -hmm. uh, in the sort of dairy country in the uh, middle of the North Island. My father was a veterinary surgeon, so there was a call for, you know, people who knew things about cows. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> and other animals. Sensible, okay. yes. Cows were, <laughs> cows were very prominent. <laughs> okay. I've actually, I have actually visited Rotorua. Um, there's an, it's a very interesting um, uh, aroma <laughs> as you enter. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Of um, sort of um, rotten eggs. I know every time I smell <laughs> a rotten egg, I get transported back to my hometown. Well, if you do ever make it to Naples, um, I'll take you to a place called Pozzuoli, which will probably make you a bit nostalgic, a bit uh -huh. homesick. Um, I have the same. I have I have a friend who lives there, and when when you get 
almost to the town, you can you can smell it. Um, you get a whiff. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think people who live there are just they're just so used to it. They don't, but um, it's <laughs> um, it, it is it's well we're, we're, it's we we are sort of next to a volcano. We have a lot uh -huh. of under underwater volcanoes. It's a pretty okay. interesting part of Italy, actually. Um, although my friend who lives in Pozzuoli probably wouldn't say that because she's been waking up with a few little earthquakes in the middle uh -huh. of the night. We get those in New Zealand or, too, don't worry. Or I think it's it's actually Bradyism. It's not um, they're not they're not earthquakes, oh. but they're measured along the same with the same scale. Getting completely off the topic of today's mm -hmm. today's interview, um, when we talked about possible titles, um, there were uh, a few very very interesting titles. Um, the the one that that captured my attention most was obviously "Winging It," um, but there was another one which. Um, also grabbed my attention and I wanted to just ask you about it um, one of Which the yeah. <laughs> one of the suggestions um, was freeze-dried in adverbs uh -huh. <laughs> could you well, just give is, us a little yeah. bit of background to this concept uh, this, this goes back to it's an expression that's become part of my sort of uh, idiolect because it was an expression a friend of mine an american who i was working with in alexandria in egypt actually many years ago attended a talk by a visiting luminary the uh, of language teaching applied linguistics and i i didn't go but i asked him what it was like, and he said, "Oh, he rolled his eyes. He said, "Oh God, she was she was dreadful. She was freeze dried in adverbs, and it's something about that captured to me the sort of uh, the dangers of academia that you become so kind of immersed in your own field, particularly if it's a language field that you become, in a sense, wrapped in it. And and I think of that often as it's a salutary reminder that it's a danger that I've." I can get into because I'm so obsessed with language. I mean, I've written so many books with the name grammar in the title that I could also equally be accused of being freeze-dried in adverbs, adjectives, pronouns, determiners, the whole lot. <laughs> I think I hopefully think I'm not, but you know, it's a danger. I think, I mean, I owe a lot to you. Certainly um, you saved me and got me through my Delta, although you probably didn't realize it. And I'm sure there are many, I can see we've got Megan here, who is, you're doing your Delta at the moment, aren't you, Megan? Um, it is, I mean, you're, you help to make grammar more accessible and understandable. I mean, I remember one of the books that I was given when I did my CELTA was um, Swan. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was a you know it's a good reference book, but it didn't help me to really understand grammar and unpick mm -hmm. it and then mm -hmm. bring it back to the classroom, if that makes sense. And I think your work has been um, fundamental, not just with grammar, but we will um, we'll, we'll get onto that. Mm -hmm. Before well, we I mean, do, I ought, to say, <laughs> I ought to say, Jane, about language, which is what I'm, I assume you're referring to, which is the yes. book on language analysis. That was written in the training classroom. I mean, that was worksheets that well, I produced for my uh, Delta candidates when I was teaching on the what was then called the DTEF, the Diploma in Teaching English as Foreign Language to Adults, in Barcelona. Uh, and so the book emerged out of those sessions. And so that's why I think it works with people who are doing that or a similar kind of course, because it was, as I say, it, it was written for that, that, that market. And it, it, um, it is illuminating, <laughs> I must say, and helpful. Um, thinking about um, your journey, because obviously I, um, that's one of the things that listeners love to hear could you just just give us a, it can't be brief but could you give us um a little bit um or tell us a little bit bit about your story and your journey 
how you began. How I got from Rotorua to <laughs> yes. down on the coast to, of Spain. To Spain. <laughs> yeah, well, I would try to cut it short. No, I mean, I think like many uh, colonials, um, the, you know, New Zealanders leave New Zealand uh, at some point to go do their uh, overseas apprenticeship. And I, uh, I went, came to Europe uh, via Asia, uh, following a well-trodden path, uh, and arrived in London with not a very clear idea of what to do. But people I knew also, uh, colonials, were had discovered uh, English language teaching through the organisation which I worked with subsequently for many years called International House. So I did my initial training in London mm-hmm. and then immediately was uh, got a job on the south coast of England in Hastings with another International House school before my visa kind of ran out and I was I upped and left and went to a new affiliate of International House, which had just started in Cairo in Egypt, uh, where there was a huge and enormous demand for English at the time and, and, and not many organizations able to satisfy it. So we saw that school grow exponentially and being there at the, on the, at the outset meant that I was kind of rocketed up into uh, <laughs> levels of, uh, of well, educational administration, which I was ill-equipped for in, in many ways because I had only got, you know, the equivalent of the CELTA at that point, but, it was all hands on deck, needs must, etc. And so, but we had some fantastic teachers, and working with them and observing them gave me a foothold into what became my primary interest, which was teacher education. Mm-hmm. And the rest is that you know it evolved in a fairly orthodox way, doing the equivalent of the Delta and back in London, going back to Egypt, running a a small language school in Alexandria, then moving on to Spain, uh, doing a master's at Reading in the, at some point, uh, and, uh, but working in all that time with International House, working on training, teaching, training on CELTA courses, training on Delta courses, uh, and then the transition into writing came sort of uh, through contacts of mine from International House London, who mm-hmm. who suggested I write about language based on my Delta kind of experience. And that was, well, actually, I'd written some workbooks and things before that. But anyway, um, one thing led to another. And of course, then writing leads to attending conferences, uh, doing short intensive courses all over the place, doing stuff for the publishers, lots of travel. And eventually I kind of uh, went freelance, left International House, not before I had worked on a uh, online, designing an online uh, English teaching program with a group of colleagues Mm -hmm. for International House. And, And then I morphed from that into teaching on an online master's program for a university in the States. And now here I am, uh, well, theoretically retired, but uh, as busy as a bee. Yes, I I don't imagine you um, retiring uh, very soon, (laughs) I don't think. What... um, What do you think is has been your biggest accomplishment in your career? Um, well, surviving. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess, I guess for the, in terms of the interest that it generated, uh, the, that little article I wrote in 2000, which was published in the Ayatefel, um, broadsheet on dogma and the need for a kind of pedagogy of bare essentials that had such a, a ripple effect. Uh, mm. And it became the uh, Dogma Discussion Group, which was mediated through Yahoo, now since um, defunct. But uh, it lasted 10 years, and that was an incredibly busy and exciting, productive conversation with teachers from all around the world, which wouldn't have been pro- possible 
10 years earlier because we didn't have the internet, let alone mm. discussion groups, etc. But it was a very, very fertile period, very productive. And it, it led eventually to the co-writing of the book Teaching Unplugged with Luke Meddings. So I think, I mean, I have to say, I don't want to be typecast as the dogma man, just as I don't want to be typecast as the, <laughs> as the as grammar the man. Right and adverse man, as the grammar, <laughs> grammar girl. But I, um, I, I have to say that that has had an extraordinary knock-on effect. And because the interest hasn't waned, uh, it, interestingly, I'm, I'm sure that's something you want to come to. But uh, yes. so I guess in a sense, it's, you know, in t- terms of small, you know, in terms of the butterfly effect, uh, in terms of a small, one two-page article that triggered such a kind of, uh, so much interest, comment, controversy. Uh, and I hope for many teachers, a source of teacher professional development, reflection, and so on, which is, again, something I'd like to come back to, but mm. fire away. I mean, I think, I think certainly as a, as, a te- as a practicing teacher, it was a revelation. <laughs> it was, and it, it helped, it, it, it always made you relax and think, well, um, but, but we probably should go into it more carefully um, uh, in a minute. I, I, I still want to go back to your journey because you, I think you, um, I think you might have um, skipped over a couple of important things and probably a lot to do with what you're currently doing. Um, you, you, you are, um, you, you stopped doing the master's program, but you still mm-hmm. do um, a lot of work. And I think a lot of that work is for um, people who might not necessarily um expect it i'm thinking about mosaic and the Uh hands up project could you tell us a little bit about them because i think they're having quite an impact yes okay well they're not unrelated i mean both of them are charities that are working with uh groups of learners and teachers uh primarily in the arab world and this is in a sense is me repaying my debt to those incredibly formative years i had in egypt where i learned everything that there is to know that I still know about teaching, I think. Uh, and I kind of subsequently, after Egypt, I travelled extensively uh, professionally as, as well as, as a tourist in the regions. And I think I visited something like 13 of the Arab-speaking countries in, in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, and so when the Hands Up Project, I mean, I'd known Nick Bilbrook prior to the Hands Up Project because he was one of the writers that I shepherded through a two books for the Cambridge Handbooks for Teachers series, which I'm an e- the editor of. Mm-hmm. Didn't mention that. but um, <laughs> yes, That's what I mean. <laughs> that's, uh, and it was through that I got to know Nick. And then his work, uh, in fact, I had already been to Palestine for another publisher to consult on a course book pub- publisher, uh, a course book for Palestine. And so... One thing led to another. Nick went out and started, because of his interest in theatre, he started working with kids, teachers and kids, uh, to produce, to write and produce plays, which they could then broadcast via the simplest of possible technologies. And um, this was pre-Zoom even. I think it was, it was Skype they were using mm-hmm. to students in other parts of Palestine, to classrooms and also around the world. And this became the Hands Up Project. And Nick invited me to be a trustee of that project, which I have been ever since. And it's been extremely exciting because it took me to back to Palestine and Gaza uh, in particular uh, for conferences that are there and to meet the actual teachers and students on these programs and to see how incredibly important it has been not just in terms of their English development, but to their educational development and also to affirming their existence of, as, you know, people in the world. And so that, uh, then I, um, how did I get into Mosaic? Mosaic Education is a charity which works to provide opportunities for refugees to study uh, in English-speaking universities uh, and many of these refugees of course in the last few years have come from places like Syria and are, mm-hmm. are in places like Jordan and Lebanon and Turkey because of course now we're talking about a huge new wave of refugees that, 
they're hoping to be able to help, which are the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. So um, I was asked to come in and do some teacher training for them, working with teachers in difficult circumstances to try and improve their lot. And many of these are volunteer teachers without any previous training. So working with them. And of course, then this all happened in the middle of the, or the beginning of the pandemic. So we had to kind of move everything online. So there was this sort of double challenge of working with teachers in difficult circumstances, but working with them uh, to help them teach effectively online in ways which uh, were low resource. That's so hence my dogma teaching unplugged background was kind of, that's what attracted uh, them to me. and so that's been very interesting, and that's an ongoing project. And I hope eventually after, you know, once we get back to face-to-face teaching, I'll be able to go and do some teacher training in, in the places where they're actually working. But, yeah, so that's, that's kept, kept me very busy. Wow. Um, is there anything that you wish you'd known when you started this journey? Um... <laughs> I mean, being wise after the event, I suppose I made, might have made a better effort in the places that I ended up in to integrate more thoroughly. I mean, I think one of the things about being an EFL teacher, especially in those days, is that you are, you're sort of, you do feel that you're, an impermanent member of the culture that you're in and you sort of, you're floating on the surface a little bit. And I think, I mean, not both linguistically, but culturally, et cetera. And I think uh, that's one of the dangers or was the danger perhaps of EFL and the sort of backpacking version of EFL that we never really got beyond the very uh, superficial understanding of the places we're in. So I think I wish I'd paid more attention to what was going on. And I, you know, uh, I mean, I think that's ge- generally speaking. Mm. Uh, it's even worse now in some ways because a lot of the traveling that I do or did before the pandemic was like you fly into a place for a conference. You're there literally for two or three days. You see virtually nothing of the place apart from the inside of the hotel and or the conference center. And you're talking to people who are teaching there and are permanently embedded in that culture and context, and you're teaching as if you knew something about it, and you you don't. I mean, and it's mm. it's always been a it's a, been a tension for me that people want me to go to places and talk to teachers. Teachers want me to come, but at the same time, I feel like a great imposter. Um, hence the title that you selected for (laughs) this program which was winging it elevated to an art form and i think although that was originally applied to dogma Mm. uh somebody said facetiously that dogma is just you know winging it you go into into class unprepared but it's kind of turned into a methodology (laughs) or a technique and i'd like i I would have something to say about that but yes but but i think it's also in some ways you could it's uh it would be a fair criticism of my professional trajectory uh i think a lot of places that i go to and talk to teachers i really don't i don't feel i have the authority that they grant me and uh, and it's something that I've always had to kind of contend with and often refuse to go to places uh, because I simply say, I mean, I'm sure you've got better people on the ground who know much more about what you want uh, your teachers to be able to do than I can possibly know. But Is that what is currently motivating you to connect with um, other other, I know you're working in several countries um, on several projects. Well, yeah, I, yeah I'm working <laughs> on a project uh, in, in India. And again, I mean, I said to them explicitly that it was an interesting discussion. I said, I don't really feel qualified to provide teacher training material for teachers in India because, uh, and the answer was that, oh, no, but your materials are already popular. We use them a lot. Mm. Uh, and... They, she, this um, person I was in touch with said, your approach is essentially agnostic. And I thought, well, that's an interesting mm-hmm. adjective because it's never been, de- <laughs> uh, it's been described as all sorts of things, uh, including Ag- eclectic and, you know, practical, blah, blah, blah. But 
uh, not agnostic. And I think what you meant was that it's not, uh, it doesn't require a set of beliefs or an ideology even uh, to make it work. But I, I, I'm very suspicious of that because I think every method, is, as lots of people have said, is interest, is a, no method is disinterested and no approach is disinterested. There's always an agenda. And uh, which it took me a long time. That might be something else that we're it, going back to your question about to... what I would reassess. I think, yes, never believe what people tell you that good teaching should be, because there's as many ways of good teaching as there are good teachers. You know, and one of the things I learned very early on watching these classes in, in, in Cairo when I was a, recruited to as a as director of studies was seeing such a huge range of teaching styles and approaches that made me start to reevaluate reevaluate my own fixed beliefs these mm. beliefs that had been imprinted on me during the original four week course that I did in international house london which i thought this was the only way to teach but i of course subsequently realized that there as I, as i say there's a myriad ways of, to teach so i mean whether a, an approach can be agnostic or not i don't know but anyway yes i'm doing that and i'm also working with teachers in iran uh, where I've never been to my great uh, chagrin, because I mean it's one place that I would really like to go to, but mm. that's not going to happen. Um, but the teachers in Iran are really cut off. I mean, and they are so keen, and they, they speak such fantastic English. And I think, oh, you know, I mean, I don't know much about the context there. Although I have to say, having worked in Egypt and having worked and traveled around the Arab world a lot, I'm sort of cognizant of what contexts are likely to be like, not, not you know, in Iran, but also in Vietnam and also in China, et cetera. You can sort of imagine the conditions in which teachers are teaching, particularly in the state sector, but also in the yeah. private sector, universities and so on. It doesn't create, create, take a great leap of imagination. So, I mean... I'm not trying to justify my position here, but I'm just thinking, well, if people think I can do some good, then I'll, I'll wade in and until such time as I feel that I'm not doing any good. I think maybe it's more about in, inspiration and certainly um, I know you do that in the ELT world and um, I think that's just become, um, that, that's a it's a continuation of that. Well, that's nice Let, to hear. Let's just take a minute to, to reflect on that. We're going to have a, a quick break for the news and we'll be back again with Scott Thornbury. While we're on a break, if you have any questions for Scott um, or you'd like to join the show, please put a message in the chat for us. Thank you, Scott. We'll be back in just a second. Good do. No, we're not. We're going to keep going because the news seems to have disappeared. Um, I'm just going to, to, add, to add it again. Um, here we go. Oh, sorry about that. Just going to a break now. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk Introducing Bulb 
With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb Digital Portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out! Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In England, the latest government data shows that 178,800 pupils were absent from school due to COVID, a decrease of 0.3% since March the 17th. The number of staff absences has also decreased by 0.4% in the same time period. School leaders are, however, still expressing concern over the ongoing disruptions and both the NAHT School Leaders Union and the Association of School and College Leaders have called for Education Secretary Nadim Sahawi to reinstate free lateral flow tests for pupils and staff. General Secretary Paul Whiteman said, we continue to hear a sense of deep frustration from school leaders as they struggle to deal with the significant and ongoing disruption caused by COVID, whilst the government removes every measure they have for controlling it. We all assumed living with COVID meant there would be very low case levels. This is clearly not the case and absence rates remain at concerningly high levels. School leaders feel they have been abandoned. In Lancashire, video games are being used to teach children about climate change and flooding. The game is called Rivercraft and has been devised by the Environment Agency in collaboration with Microsoft. It is based on Minecraft and integrates flood mitigation. Andy Brown, Flood Risk Manager for the Environment Agency said, this is an amazing opportunity for students and a project we are proud to be part of. Not only will young people learn about a major flooding scheme in the UK, but they will also discover more about climate change, the environment, flooding, and the types of roles available for careers in science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Justin Edwards, Director of Learning Programmes, Minecraft, said, We know people around the world love Minecraft, and so it is really rewarding for us to see Minecraft encouraging students to talk about and engage with environmental issues. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about improving your skills. I listened to the morning show with Dorian Brown last Friday and he was discussing teachers' tech skills. I'm not here to start a discussion, that's his job. However, this week I investigate, can you get better at tech for free? Is there any CPD out there that doesn't cost a fortune? The answer is yes. 
There's a lot of online self-paced courses out there and even some supported by bursary funding for cover to get you out of the classroom and trained in school time. So what did I find? Let's start with free training. Let's face it, the big three companies in EdTech are Apple, Google and Microsoft. So what do they offer? Apple Teacher is a free professional learning program designed to support and celebrate educators using Apple products for teaching and learning. As an educator, you can build skills on iPad and Mac that directly apply to activities with your students. Earn recognition for new things you learn and be rewarded for the great work you do every day. Sign into the program and work your way through the badges to get your Apple Teacher certificate. Google for Education offer a free training for educators. Courses range from beginner to advanced and there's also lots of courses on getting the most out of devices such of Chromebooks. They also have a certified program consisting of educator level one and level two. All resources are free, but if you want certification, it's done through a paid exam. You can also go on to be a certified trainer, innovator, and coach. Microsoft Educator Center offers hundreds of free online self-paced courses for educators. All have a certificate attached and a badge that can be shared. There is also a dedicated educator pathway to become an innovative educator, trainer, and expert. All of these are free. If you want to fine-tune a particular skill, there's loads of free training providers out there too. For example, Coursera is an online self-paced course platform that offers free training. If you want a certificate, you'll need to pay, but lots of courses are free, and if you don't need proof of completion, go for it. Finally, there's lots of different hubs out there to provide bursary-funded CPD for schools, computing, maths, English and MFL to name a few. A great way to find out what's on offer is to contact your local teaching school hub as they will know what is available in your area. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're back with Scott Thorpey. <laughs> Good morning again. <laughs> um, while we're on the break, there is a little. There's a question from Megan. Um, as I mentioned, Megan is doing her her diploma at the moment. Um, it's a an interesting question because the future <laughs> is very uncertain. For um, volatile, what do you think, Scott? The question is, do you have any thoughts about the future of English language teaching in foreign language contexts, and what should teachers focus on? Yeah, I'm very, I'm often asked, uh, I'm constantly asked questions about my predictions of the future, and I've become very wary of making <laughs> predictions, particularly in the light of what's happened in the last two years. Nobody could have predicted that the whole of English language teaching would move online. I mean, we knew that technology was certainly changing uh, the way that we teach that we interact with uh, students the way that training is done, etc. And I had many years working with uh, online uh, programs, both uh, for English language teaching and also for training in the form of the master's program. And I think, you know, we, one of the things that we learned during the pandemic was that it can be done. Uh, but it, it can't, it's not that it can be done better. It just, it can be done. It's, an, it's a viable alternative. And we're very lucky. We were very lucky to have lots of technologies already in place. It was just a case of learning how to use them for language teaching purposes. Of course, that's not necessarily what they were designed for. Mm. But I guess going back to the question, uh, you know, I mean, I, I would, uh, I think English language teaching generally has got to take on board developments in technology such as simultaneous translation software, apps and things that are already highly developed and will not stop getting better. Uh, and I'm not just talking about Google Translate, I'm talking about you know uh, being able to inter interact uh, verbally with somebody who speaks, doesn't speak your language, you don't speak theirs, simply by using an app which immediately translates and uh, provides voiced version of what uh, the other person's saying in your language. And I think in some ways, I mean, people have made all sorts of predictions about the effect this will have on foreign language teaching and English in particular. And it certainly will have, I think it, it, it's bound to have a negative effect on certain foreign language teaching where people decide, well, I don't need to spend six months learning Danish just because I'm going to go to Denmark for my summer holidays. Mm. Uh, I'll just take the app with me. And 
I think in terms of English, of course, English has a different, like it or not, has a wider reach and, and it functions for different purposes. It functions as an international language. And I think that that itself is a danger because people are also realize, well, if it functions as an international language, I don't need to be able to speak it fluently. Uh, I just need to get by with it uh, for my particular purposes. And if an app can do that, then uh, so much the better. So I think as teachers, we need to take this on board. And I think we need to incorporate the use of these technologies into our class and show students how to use, uh, effectively how to use things like Google Translate when they're writing uh, and how to access online translation tools for reading and comprehension, listening purposes, et cetera. Uh, and then think ahead a bit and think, well, what will the effect be? What is my role as a teacher now when people can download voice-to-voice -voice kind of apps uh, and use them and they're fairly effective? So that's one thing. That's the bad news. I mean, I think the good news is that uh, I think, you know, the, the move into content teaching uh, is a, is a good thing, a very good thing. And I'm thinking of things, content and language integrated learning in the form that it takes what's called in Europe, CLIL, mm -hmm. uh, but also just teaching content to your EFL classes rather than teaching the third person S or the, or the fourth <laughs> that, conditional that you're really, teaching. I mean, one of the things that one of the problems, and I think this is one of the problems that, that motivated me to start looking critically at the course books was that we we're teaching a contentless discipline. So we have to invent content. And so we put content into course books, which is thought to be interesting and, you know, sexy and generally, and but also culturally appropriate and bland so as not to offend people. But it is not content that people necessarily want to engage with at, at a level which is, you know, anything more than superficial. It's a sort of what I, I think mm. I said once, you know, course books are like, um, in-flight magazines with grammar notes. And I think th that <laughs> sums up, to a certain extent, the kind of lightness of the content. Whereas if you're, if you, I mean, what's wrong with literature? You know, to base a course around literary text, I don't mean old-fashioned, high capital C culture literature, Jane Austen and, and Dickens and all that sort of thing, but I mean contemporary literature that happens to be in English or translated into English. Mm. And, mm. and, you know, choose a book uh, with your students and work through it and discuss it and watch the video of the book and all that kind of thing. I mean, that is content, which is surely more engaging. Or, or uh, and, if, yeah. and if it's more engaging, it's more likely to be more memorable, the language, you know, that it's, that it's mediated in. I think I felt very unprepared. I did um, vlogs with my, with my, uni students as one of their speaking assessments because we couldn't meet for we couldn't meet to do face-to-face -face speaking exams and so I asked them to prepare a video on on something that interest interested them <laughs> and looking at the topics I don't think any of them uh, would appear in a course book yeah so, exactly I mean ranging from how to become a model to a book I've just finished <laughs> reading um to um you know what you have for christmas lunch in naples mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. the variety was was um it was extraordinary mm -hmm. and i actually learned so much more about my 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 learners and it also gave mm -hmm. me a really good way to assess their speaking ability their ability to put a text together to be concise there's, there's so much more going on <laughs> um but none of those topics appear in any sort of mainstream course books but Sorry, I've, I've distracted you. I hope I haven't. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, um, no you're just reinforcing yeah. the point I was trying to make. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, I think they get a bit. They get a bit fed up with talking about um, talking Shopping about and travel. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and artificial intelligence and um, mm -hmm. the main topics of, of most course books. And it was really good to give them an opportunity to to branch out. Thornbury Unplugged was the other topic that we have, uh, the other title that we had, but we didn't use. Why did you choose Thornbury Unplugged? Well, I mean, simply by analogy with teaching unplugged. And I think uh, <laughs> um, the, 
uh, <laughs> I guess I, I was anticipating the drift of a of a of a conversational interview like this as being uh, to try to get be you know beyond the the super the the professional veneer that I've managed to create around myself and uh, <laughs> and <it> expose. <laughs> Uh, facts and information about myself that are little known, but there's no way that you're going to be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't really unplug you. <laughs> you could try, Jane. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, I'm thinking. I wanted to actually. Um, I wanted to ask you, obviously, about we're getting on for time. Um, I wanted to ask you more about Dogme, but I first I wanted to ask you, who were the people in your le- learning to teach and to train Jenny? Who were the people that really, really influenced you? I, you mentioned mm-hmm. um, Dewey, um, Paolo, Ferez, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I just wondered who who is the person that really uh, Stevic? Uh, I wonder who is that person that really. You really relate well, to. I mean, I think. I mean, I do mention often the effect that the book "Away and Ways: Teaching Languages mm-hmm. Away and Ways" by Earl Stevick, published in nineteen eighty, had on me because it was came at the right time, and also it was because I hadn't read any other books by really hard outside of the court training courses I'd done. So I read it. It was completely uh, serendipitous that coming across it and reading it and finding it just. It it um, it made a profound effect uh, because I realised that there's a lot more to language teaching than what, what went on in the head. Uh, it's all about what goes on between people as much as, uh, as as being a cognitive phenomenon. And I think that is a that is a that is a thread that has run through my whole uh, trajectory in terms of my philosophy of teaching of language teaching that it's much less an internal cognitive matter and it's much more a social contextualized embodied even physical uh, process and 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 so a lot of what I've been writing and talking about recently has been to try and reassert that view that Stevic uh, was had proposed and his fellow kind of humanists had proposed uh, now nearly you know half a century ago so that was very important um and oh uh, yeah there's lots and lots of other books i could point at or writers that have been influential or speakers that i've come across at conferences etc uh who've leo van leer would be another one sadly um mm-hmm. the late leo van leer who i did meet at a couple of conferences and whose books i still return to again and again because of what he says about interaction apart from anything else and also about ecology and situating language in, in a kind of ecological context. So that's that's all part of the theoretical. I think, I mean, but I wouldn't want to discount the people, the real people I worked with, who had a profound influence on me. And I think, you know, I've mentioned Neil Forrest before, who I worked with on 16 Delta courses over the years that I worked at International House Barcelona. And we spent yeah. a lot of time talking about, not just our trainees, but talking about methodology, language, uh, <laughs> the philosophy of life, uh, generally, um, uh, during a period when we actually shared a, uh, a country cottage uh, that Neil had rented and spent weekends together, and we didn't stop talking about these things. So that was very, very useful to have to have a colleague like that you could bounce ideas off. Mm. Um, so, and I've been extraordinarily fortunate, yes, all the way through with. Um, my colleagues, teachers. I mean, one of the things about International House is it have a very uh, rich um, teacher development environment, apart from anything else. I mean, you know, there are regular meetings and discussions and where there's a staff room. I mean, you talk to you could share lessons together, et cetera, which is not always the case now. And I think one of the things teachers most need, feel the need for now that they've been locked into their homes and locked out of their institutions is they need that collegial contact which is so incredibly important in your development yeah definitely i think i've my my teaching improved <laughs> I, I was fortunate to be in, in very, a very very supportive staff room but i don't think my teaching would have gone anywhere without my colleagues 
Mm-hmm. And then having the fortunate position to then observe teachers and learn from them, because I think when you any observation that you do, you learn something new. Um, Absolutely. It's wonderful. Even, yeah, even on a seltzer, I think you do. Um, dogma. Um, I know we, when we spoke, you mentioned a very, very interesting tweet, um, and and some some people have suggested that it is um, winging it. Um, Tell me why it's not winging yet. Well, it's not winging yet for the, I mean, you've already pointed at that. Uh, I think something you said earlier, Jane, that, that there's the way that you sort of recognised the common sense of dogma uh, when you came across it. It was like a breath of fresh air. So I think it's because a lot of teachers feel that this is how they would like to teach or how they do teach when the door is closed. And they can just get on with it and how they are responsive to their particular learners' interests and needs and things that come up. And we've all had lessons where something has come up unexpectedly and we've run with it and it's been fantastic. And I think, you know, uh, they are probably the, the lessons that the learners will remember. Uh, so uh, it's, it's not just going in unprepared and seeing what happens. It's going in... I mean, you know, I can, it's what somebody says. It's, there's a difference between preparing a lesson and being prepared for a lesson. And I think going in with all your senses on high alert so that you could pick up on the things that come up, the things that are immediate, the things that the learners want to contribute to the lesson and then have the skills. And these are very sophisticated skills in some ways. And maybe the skills that only experienced teachers have acquired over time, the classroom mm-hmm. management skills to be able to orchestrate a lesson around what comes up, but also the language analysis skills to be able to deal with the language that comes up and to know how to kind of scaffold that and how to uh, review it and how to turn the, that, that emergent content into the, into the learning content of the curriculum. So I think these are skills that, as, as I say, that most experienced teachers have they don't necessarily feel that they've got the permission to activate them, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, because of, you know, the constraints, institutional constraints, of course, you can't dismiss those and the, the exams and the syllabus, and the coursebook and all that kind of thing. So that we, we work in institutions and we have to follow what the institution demands. But even within that. It's. It, I think the thing about dogma was it said to teachers that, well, you do have more agency perhaps than you might be pre- prepared to acknowledge or that you, that is, uh, you know, uh, educationally viable because, I mean, I think one of the things that's since 2000 when that first dogma article came out, there's just so much research now and so much interest in uh, different uh learning theories and language learning theories such as usage based instruction uh that it's kind of validated so much of what uh dogma was trying to say that, that you know that that language is an emergent phenomenon uh and that we can't package it and pigeonhole it in ways that uh is the assumption underlying most grammar syllabuses for example mm. so you know i i just feel that that's why Dogma has, in a sense, the, has survived as an interesting um, player, is that it's become more and more increasingly validated and, and, on the one hand, and on the other, it reflects very much what experienced teachers have discovered themselves about effective teaching. Yeah. So it's not just winging it. It's definitely <laughs> not. answer to your um, question. Yeah, I mean, I, thought, I, I don't think I could have done that done a done a dogma lesson straight off the seltzer because i just didn't have the language the understand i didn't really none of it really came together until i did the delta um, mm-hmm. as i mentioned yes, but i think the problem was, yeah. Yeah, and, and said do this <laughs> get through this book and you'll be all right because i was wasn't particularly strong at that point in my in my career um yep with the pandemic Obviously, if we if we teach using dogma, it is easier. But there was also a very very big push from publishers, a lot of support certainly from them, and lots and lots and lots of materials and resources are now available to teachers a lot more than we ever had 
perhaps pre-pandemic. Um, do you think that has an effect on the future? I mean, yeah, I think. There, I mean, I think when you, when uh, when I first wrote that article year two thousand, I thought then that we were over resourced, uh, but you know, it's nothing like the situation now in a sense. Uh, but there's good resources and there's less good resources. And I think the fact that there are, you know, uh, there are so many resources available online. And I don't mean that what those that have been specifically written for English language teaching purposes, there's so much text out there that's spoken and written mm. and vi vi visual, etc. that teachers, it's, you know, it's almost too much. I mean, again, it says, how do you steer a path through that? Well, one thing you do is you enlist your learners into accessing the material and point them in the right direction so they can bring their own material to the classroom. That's one option. Uh, but um, I think the danger of the pandemic, as I hinted at before, is that it might, and I think it's happened in, uh, in other educational contexts, I'm thinking like university context, uh, that they're thinking, ah, oh, well, this is a good wheeze. We don't really need um, classrooms anymore at all because we've just proven we can get by without them. So let's close down all this very expensive real estate that we have and our universities or whatever and just move everything online. We can teach many more students at the same time, et cetera, and charge them the same fee. And I think this would be a terrible way to go because, the, you know, again, it, 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 it's contravenes the view, particularly well, of all education, that it's, so, it's as much as social as a, as a cognitive activity, but particularly language learning, uh, which, uh, and language itself, which is, is such an uh, important social tool that we move the whole thing purely online, however good the platforms are, they're never really as good, the interaction that we're having, that you and I are having now even, yep. uh, is never quite as good as if we were sitting face to face in the cafe in Naples over a <laughs> Negroni or whatever you drink there. <laughs> yes, um, actually it is, it's national, what is it, National Beverage Day. Um, no, I'm not very there good go. with, um, I'm not very good with uh, spirits. I'm a, I'm a wine, a wine girl. So you can have a Negroni <laughs> and I'll have a, a glass of wine. <laughs> um, God, we've come almost come to the end. Um, and there is a question here. Um, are you printing a resource? Um, well, we know that you've printed over, is it how many? It's about 20 or 30 um, teachers' reference books. Um, oh, it's that. part of the Cambridge Handbook series, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, have you got something planned for the future? Uh, yes, uh, I do have a number of projects I'm just juggling with at the moment. They're all at the very, very pre-proposal kind of embryonic stage. So I'm not really, I can't really talk about them mm -hmm. as such, but let's just say that, yes, I, I'm working on a project. I'm, in fact, I've been working on it all morning up, up until now, uh, a book for the Cambridge Handbook series, and we'll see how you know it needs to be oh, reviewed, et cetera, rigorously before it gets into it. Uh, production stage but that's exciting and then uh, there is a project or an idea that I'm hatching or Luke Meddings has hatched to revisit Teaching Unplugged but I mean that's as much as I can say at mm. this moment as I say it's very 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 early days uh, so yeah so there's there, there's certainly stuff um, ongoing Absolutely. Um, I think if, if people want to want to know more or um, or get in touch, your your website um, is fabulous. Yes, exactly, which um, has just been given a big major makeover. I just made a very very quick mention in passing to Jane because we didn't get a chance to mention the work that I've been doing with ITDI, yeah, International right. Teacher Development Institute, but running courses during the pandemic extended courses on dogma uh, and other subjects on El Stevic, uh, apart from anything else, has been very been very fruitful. And I really enjoyed that. So I'm not going to stop doing, just because the pandemic finished, I'm not going to stop running online courses. So again, visit ITDI's website and, and put your name down on the waiting list for the next dogma course, if, if that's what interests you. I did have a look at that, actually, um, but they seem to always be sold out. 
Um, certainly the funny that. Funny that. <laughs> yeah. there um, is a continuing <laughs> interest in this. Um, Scott, thank you so much for, for coming this morning. Um, and I, I, th I think we could probably have another radio show and keep talking because we haven't covered nearly as much as, as I thought we would. Um, so when you, when you do hatch your new projects, um, I will get in touch and you can tell us a little bit more about what would it be? Um, dogma, dogma 2 or... What yes, Mark 2. I wonder, absolutely. Mark 2 or yeah, <laughs> the, the tech version. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, have a, a wonderful afternoon. And if you are ever down in Naples, please give me a shout out. Mm -hmm. um, it would be lovely to see you. And um, to everybody else, um, thank you. That was you a dog, for, not me giving you a shout. That, that is, <laughs> I know that's my dog saying, come on, we've got to get out now. Um, she, she's actually been quite quiet. She, there are the times where she really does almost ruin my radio show, um, as Tom reminds me. But I, I can't really get rid of her. She's, she's here. She's alive. Um, Harry's at least got his dog as well. This afternoon, there is Harry waters um, with drive home and next week i will be speaking to emma hademan um, who is an elt consultant thank you everyone for joining lovely to see you again sylvina thank you scott um and thank you thank you everyone okay. for joining and have a lovely afternoon everyone bye bye you've been listening to teachers talk radio Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.